Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Welcome everybody back to an advanced Davening Institute class. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be advanced. It just means that the material that we're working with is towards a particular purpose. I began teaching this actually nine years ago when I first came here um, towards the High Holy Days. And then we took a little bit of a break from this bent because people requested more classes on understanding prayer. You know, the vast majority of all of us spend the vast majority of our Jewish prayer experiences not as the leader. I am an exception to that. Although truthfully, that's still true for me because at Daily Minion, I'm rarely the leader and it's only occasionally that I'm the leader. So I go to plenty of prayer experiences where it's not the case that I'm the leader. So people want to understand how prayer works. If you want to know more about how prayer works, how it's structured, what the history is, two things. One is I'll teach another course like that another time. I'll, I'll come back to doing that. The second thing is, Tuesday mornings, Rabbi Avi Havivi teaches a phenomenal course going like piece by piece, little tiny little nuggets of great stuff on all of the Sidor. He kind of works his way through in cycles. Um, and not only is that available immediately following Minion on Tuesday mornings, but it's also on our podcast. So if you want to like listen to a few nuggets of tefillah while you're doing some dishes or folding laundry, as I sometimes do myself, I like listening to his class. I learn a lot. Um, you're welcome to do that to engage in more about prayer. This class, though, has the goal of you all being that much more comfortable, whatever that turns out to be for you, with the way that services are led. We're, I'm teaching this class in concert, no pun intended, with the Ziegler School of Rabbinical Studies for two reasons. One is that I'm an instructor there. This is my sixth year. And so I've gotten to really know the first year students every year. I've seen one cycle go through and I'm about to see the rest of that six, some of the students are there six years. So I'll see the rest of the cycle go through. And so that's really meaningful to me that I can continue the relationship with an institution that we're so directly tied to as an institution here at Temple Betham. We have three interns, two of whom are at Ziegler right now. We're constantly kind of moving through uh, the West Side LA and egalitarian traditional Jewish LA communities together. So it's nice to partner. But secondly, one of the things that Ziegler students are committed to is truly learning how to lead. So while the rest of the folks from Temple Betham might be here to really learn how to sing along as best as possible, and maybe eventually occasionally get up and lead. It's not my expectation that you graduate with a certificate and that you get up and lead the Shafrit, although some of you might be gunning to do that because you've done it many times before and you just want to get better, all that. But for the Ziegler students, it actually is a goal that this leads towards Nusach requirement comfort zone because uh, that is a requirement of the rabbinic education. And there's no reason for us not to be in the same space, meaning we are all here learning about the mechanics of the musical side of Shabbat morning services specifically. So these six sessions altogether will get us through the entirety of Shabbat morning shacharit. And I'm gonna hand you an outline shortly that will be sent out to you also uh, digitally, so you can enjoy the notes on that as well. 
and also can serve as a note-taking paper if you're that kind of person. If you came like pen in hand and you want to write down, it's a uh, it'll have a mostly blank backside so that you can take down some notes as well. So, again, these on just a moment. A while back, when I started teaching these classes, awesome. Um, when I started teaching these classes, I realized that the the number one thing, well, I'll back up and tell you like a brief story that when I was training at seminary to be a cantor and a rabbi at the same time at JTS, one of the things that we were responsible for doing was for leading at the Women's League Seminary Synagogue, which is the synagogue that operates within the complex of the seminary. It's very, very intimidating. Not only did we have to lead, but we had to learn to be gabbis. We had to learn to be floor gabbis and run the morning service. And I will never forget that in my sixth year of being there, it took me six years to get through both of the programs. Um, so Rabbi Danny Nevins came up to me. He was dean at the time. He now, by the way, fun fact, is the principal of Rabbi Ari Lucas's kids' school in New Jersey, which is very fun. He went from teaching rabbinical students. That's how that's how tough it is to teach rabbinical students, is that he would rather lead day school students. Anyway, no, he's an amazing educator. He came up to me at the end of services, and he said, Wow, that was great, Gabaut, because I felt like you knew what was happening and we were in great hands the whole time. I had never forgotten that compliment because it turns out that's far more important than getting anything right. And it's true not just for Gabaut, but it's also true for leading a service. Knowing what's happening, not only appearing confident, but actually feeling confident in such a way that people can feel comfortable. Like, you can make a mistake and say, ah, right, I forgot that we still are including Psalm 27 this morning and, you know, uh, I need to go back to that for a moment. Knowing how to navigate that is great. It's the same way as like when you learn kosher, it doesn't mean that you have to move to an area with only kosher restaurants. It means learning to navigate. Right? It's true of every aspect of Judaism. So I created a skeleton, a playbill, which some of you have seen in some of these classes. And we're going to use because before we get into the nusach and we're going to learn a little vocabulary, including the word nusach today, I want you to feel confident about the structure of the morning. So go ahead and pass these around, please, and you can hand me back the extras when they make it around. I have a prayer skeleton like this for weekdays for each service and for Shabbat for each service. I've not yet done the High Holy Days, but that's my um, on my to-do list. And... Uh, the stuff that's rather dark, I just, I like not wasting ink, but uh, I'll clarify what the dark stuff is. It's important that it's still highlighted, so I kept it highlighted there. And then, again, I'm sending you the, the digital version that's all in color, so you'll be able to see everything. Um, this structure, it's really cool when you look at it next to other structures of services. So services begin with moda'ani or moda'ani, which happens privately. And then when we enter the prayer space, we may say matovu or recite a psalm or something like that when we come in. But we really begin in earnest outside of the land of Israel with birkot shachar, with blessings of the dawn. We are not aiming to learn birkot shachar or pesuke December, those two first elements, how to lead those things on Shabbat and festival mornings in this class. Then maybe the next thing that I do, but this was the most requested chunk of liturgy that hadn't yet been taught to someone. It's a great, uh, doing Shabbat morning shacharit is a great uh, thing to take on knowing better for a lot of reasons. If you're going to be leading it, it's also 
a slightly smaller crowd than is there at Musaf. So it's a nice uh, lower stakes thing to get into. So when we uh, get through Birkot HaShachar, we move on to Pesukei to Zimra. How long does Birkot HaShachar usually take at Temple Betham Minyanim? Just Birkot HaShachar, not Pesukei to Zimra. So from... Yeah, Birkot HaShachar only, not Pesukei to Zimra. Two minutes. I would go with... Yeah, I would say about about five minutes to get through. On a Shabbat morning, it's somewhere between five and eight minutes. All the way through Yeah, but even on a weekday morning, to go from Birkot HaShachar, which is just the opening blessings from Baruch HaTah HaDoshem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, you can open to 103 if you want to see it. Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan L'Sechli Dina Levchim Ben Yom From that blessing, until we get through that two Kaddishes, Kaddish Darabanan, sorry it's so dark, but also Kaddish, Mourner's Kaddish. The reason it's so dark is that it's in red on the outline and it's uh, it, it's something that requires a minion. So it's highlighted that way. Right, so about like five minutes to get through that bit. Sometimes eight, sometimes we wait for a minion for a moment. So that takes, you know, five, six, seven, eight minutes. We can debate it. And then Pesuke to Zimra, though, I would go with Barry's answer. Right, it's, it's probably about... 20 to 30 minutes, depending on who's leading. The fastest person is going to lead it in 20 minutes. If they're skipping around a little bit and singing a couple of things, the slower folks are probably going to lead closer to about 30 minutes on a Shabbat or festival morning. Okay. I want to make an asterisk on this as well as we move just to look at Shacharit on page 145. So you can open to that if you like. That a lot of what I'm about to teach, a lot, but not all of it, is definitely usable on festivals as well. It's also usable on Yom Tov. I'm going to note where the two depart because they're such, they're siblings, right? They're very, very closely related services. So I'm going to note the places where they come together and where they depart. So we're going to turn to 145. Before we dive into this, um, this Nusach, um, this, how things operate, I want to get a little vocabulary down, right? Very simple vocabulary. I'm going to send you this vocabulary so you can write it down if kinesthetic stuff is like how it gets in your brain, but I'm also going to send you these words as well. All right, so let's see if we can define some of these things together. I have about five or six words I want to make sure, or terms that I want to make sure we understand. Who here wants to give a shot at telling us what Davin means? both technically and also colloquially, the way that we use it in a synagogue space. What's daven? Praying. Great, it's praying. And when someone says daven, do they mean from the seat or from the amud, which is one of our other words? Usually the amud. So right. that's so interesting that you say it that way. I actually think it's a personal thing. Like what crowd are you in and what way is it used? So I would say anytime somebody says, hey, do you want a daven? They're probably referring to lead, okay? But hey, do you want to help make a minion means come on in, we're not asking you to lead. But most of the time, daven originally, in its Yiddish form, was intended to simply mean meet palal, to pray. Okay, so davening is praying in Yiddish. It means it's only applicable in Ashkenazi settings, which is why I try to stick to the word tefillah or pray. Uh, in our institution, because not everybody's Ashkenazi. And uh, you're also right, Jen, that lots of people refer to Davin as sort of a word for leading. 
it's kind of like Torah, right? What does Torah mean? Well, it means the five books of Moses, but also if somebody says, hey, Shana, right? So, hey, Shana, um, do you have a piece of Torah you could share? They don't necessarily mean, right, from the five books of Torah. What could they mean? Like, they could also be referring to what? Of yeah. any Jewish text. Legit anything, right? <laughs> any kind of inter- interpretation of any Jewish text could be quote unquote Torah. And if you ask me, I'll give you the hour long discourse that I learned from almost Dr. Joshua Layden, who's an extraordinary scholar at the Hartman Institute, who wrote his thesis. Sorry. Uh, who wrote his thesis on um, source sheets. Uh, and he just submitted that uh, doctoral thesis. And he writes how important it is for us to broadly define Torah. Uh, to define Torah like very broadly, because if we keep it really narrow, like Torah is five books of Torah, Torah is uh, Mishnah, Talmud, codes, then we're going to miss a lot of voices that we consider important voices of leadership today. Queer folks, women-identified people, people of color, all of those categories of people, they're just like historically, factually not included in the narrower definition of Torah. So it's important for Jewish words to have stretch, right? for them to mean different things. So that's davening. The amud or amud, what's the amud or amud? Anybody? Great. So Amud usually means the spot where the leader is standing. I love that you said that because it doesn't necessarily mean the reader's table or the shulchan or shulchan. Again, we're talking about the way that people emphasize their Hebrew words. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm standing at that table because it might be that I'm standing at a shender, a standing device, or I might be simply standing at the leader. The, um, oh, the stender, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the stender, the stander. The, the, uh, it's a podium. A stender is a podium. That's all it is. Uh, but it means standing. Right, right. The amud is the place. But often what people say is, oh, do you want to go up to the amud? And so they're sort of referring to the table colloquially. But that's not what they mean. They mean it's the spot where the davener stands. And you may have been in spaces where, I don't know, like at the hotel, people are just, Standing there, there's no shulchan or reader's table there. Okay, so amud, davin, same as uh, mitpalel, nusach or nusach. Now, there are two meanings in modern Hebrew. I don't care about the other one for our purposes. We can talk about it later, what exactly it means. But nusach hatefila or nusach for short, right? The expansive phrase is nusach hatefila, but nusach for short means very specific definition. Again, I'll email it to you all. Even more specific than that is the melody for conveying prayer that is made up of musical mode plus motifs. Okay, mode plus motifs, the musical mode plus motifs. So there are Jewish prayer modes that are shared from the morning to the evening. For example, I'll give you the example of weekday shacharit not what we're learning in this class, but I want to make an example, and also weekday mari. The mode for weekday shachri is ahava rabah, 
Mode is another way of referring to the musical scale, the notes for the eight notes that make up the musical scale that we're going to use, or sometimes micro notes in between. So when we have weekday ahava rabat in the morning, the motifs, meaning the musical patterns, the dots that connect, whether on a musical sheet or if you were just moving your hand along with the way you sang, the motifs are going to be that's the ultimate phrase. That means it's the ending of paragraph. Ahavaraba, though, in the evening time is none of this. Those separate patterns, even though they're using the same musical notes on a musical scale, are creating different patterns that signify the time of the occasion, the time of year, the time of day where we are in the Jewish calendar. So when I say the nusach for a service, what I mean is the combination of mode and the series of motifs that belong to that service. In this class, we're gonna learn three different nusach sets, three different nuschaot, but let's just say three different nusachs for, for conversational sake. So these three different pieces of nusach are assigned for even more specific than occasion to specific parts of the tefillah. They signify where we move in between them. They are mostly separated by either a Kaddish or by an Amidah and a Whisper Amidah. And they create these barriers and then we pick up in a new musical mode. The exception to that is when we go uh, into the Kedusha. We'll get there like what, further along. You'll see Kedusha got to get all the way down to to the third from the last dot on the page. And that's where we switch up. What's, yes, sir. What's the difference between a mode and a motif? Great. So a musical mode is all of the notes that are kosher to use in uh, in a particular song or in our case, in a particular set of tefillot, a set of prayers. So, for example, the major mode is do re mi fa sol ha ti do. That's a simple major mode, right? And a motif within that would be di 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 di. Each of those is a motif. Di 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 di. Each of those motifs only uses do re mi fa sol la ti or the higher do. When which is the one from the sound of music? When she does the scale. Yeah, do a deer, a female deer. She does, so when you know the notes to sing, that pattern is a motif. Okay. Can sing us anything. So a motif is a little pattern. It's just a little series. It's like, it's like Nusach are all of the stars and motif is like a constellation. Okay. I like good analogies. I'll keep searching for a better one than that. But does that clarify? For kind of, yeah. Yeah, so it's a pattern of notes that gets repeated. So on a weekday morning, ya da 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 starts at Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. Now take that same exact set of words at a different Jewish occasion on page 
148 at the top, and we get Yishapach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. Two things are different about it musically. One is that suddenly we're in minor for the scale. So it's not do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's one, two, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, right? It's that, that's the minor scale. And we have a totally different motif too. Yishtabach, one, two, three, four, five. I'm not even gonna ask what people's musical backgrounds are because I'm gonna try lots of different um, modalities, okay? Um, one, two, three, four, five, we're in that scale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And our pattern is going to go just like this. There's a certain set of words that use this exact mode. Now, some people use this for Baruch Shamar. That makes no sense if you look at the outline, okay? <laughs> it's too early. It's new Sahli. We've been doing it for thousands of years, we Jews. We've been bleeding it back. People are like excited to get there. So they're using it early because they're excited to get there. That's not it. It's okay if people do. It's okay. It's all right if you do that. Take the other class that I'm going to teach at some later point uh, to learn how we do Baruch Shemar on a Shabbat morning. But when we start right at... Shochein Ad in the middle of 147. And we start at Shochein Ad in the middle of 147, which is the bold couple of words and that little arrow. Okay, when we start right there, that's the moment we move into this musical pattern. Now, technically speaking, we move into the, the reason why I said turn to 145, so turn back for a second. The person looking at this outline for a second. The leadership changes at Shochein Ad, but the Nusach changes at Nishmat, two lines ahead of it. You see that mid-page? The leadership changes at Shochein Ad, the leader, the Ba'al or Ba'alat Shachri, the Chazan, the Shaliach Tzibor, the Shots. These are all words that are on the vocabulary list that I'm going to email to you. The Davener, if you will, all these words, whoever is leading changes there. But the Nusach, it's like a relay handoff, right? Nishmat kohochai tivarechet shimcha Adonai Eloheinu. Ideally, they make sure that they don't move into some other musical mode. This is an, I don't mind putting this on the podcast. This is an ongoing tip between Rabbi Klickfeld and myself in the most loving way. So he learned the handoff at the bottom of 146. He learned that from... I think somebody was a Shoah survivor, somebody really beloved to him. And they taught him to do it as It's the wrong scale and the wrong set of motifs. Like it's not the right Nusach. The only reason I care isn't for the integrity of that not about him specifically it's just an ongoing funny conversation because he inherited this like not nusach dick uh um set of uh phrases 
it's not that I care how this is done, how this page is done. What I care about is the handoff. Right? I still want the top of the page 147. And for my sake, he often switches back to that because he knows if I'm starting shahri. I want him to do it so that everybody feels it's coming. And we're going to see that pattern a lot in here where we anticipate it just a little bit. So, Ha'el betatzu motu zecha, says the leader of Pesuke de Zimra, Ha'gadol b'chvo u'chimecha, Ha'gibor la'netzach ve'hanora b'nore ho'techa, Ha'melecha yoshev, Al'kisei ram venisa. Before we go into Shochenad and learn it, I want to teach you three things, okay? The first is, I want you to notice these triangles in this book. It's a little bit different in every door that you're in. 90% of the time, those triangles are going to tell you where to come in or where to come back in. They're going to give you all the guidance that you need as the leader, or if you're being, if you are just a davener in the pew, right? If you're just praying in the pew, you're a Jew in the pew, and you're following along, you know that we're coming back in together when that little arrow comes up. I will note the times where it's different. So that's one thing I wanted to tell you. The second thing that I want to tell you is the commas are fantastic. The syntax that they give you, those commas, again, I'll tell you where there's an exception, but those commas tell you a lot about breaking up the nusach. So if you see a comma or a period, they're very useful. The third thing is just that I promised that I would tell you where we differentiate between the Yom Tov and the Shabbat, right, the festival versus the Shabbat moments. This page, look at the top line there. Somebody read what it says. Festival, the leader begins here. Right, and festivals, the leader begins here. And then on Shabbat, the leader begins here. What if it's a festival and it's Shabbat? You do both? Well, no, you can't. Some, I mean, yeah. someone has to start somewhere, right? You either have to start there or there. So where do you start? Shabbat. So... The way we're, this is like the advanced, advanced class. I'm only going to give you a little peek into well, this. Oh, I love that. And in Israel, what do they do when they have one day? Oh no. Okay. We're running into trouble. I, I love this, right? So the rabbis have to go through this whole thing, right? At, nobody like, it didn't come down from God this way. Sorry. Like, it didn't. I mean, this field are invented by humans. So at some point someone had to sit down and work this out, right? Well, if it's a festival and it's also Shabbat, which can happen, we know it happens, it recently happened. Calendrically, there are some things that are not possible. It's definitely possible it happens. In this case, if it's a festival and Shabbat, we do include the festival stuff at the top, but we start in Shabbat Nusach. The inverse of this is that when it's Shabbat and a festival at the same time, forget about the Nusach for a second, we have to do the festival Amidah with Shabbat insertions. There is, there could have been, there could have been an Amidah for Shabbat with festival insertions. The rabbis determined that that wasn't the way we were going to do things. Right? There could have been, but there isn't. It doesn't exist. There only exists a festival Amidah with inclusions for Shabbat because the festival Amidah is so completely different. So we'll see that move. I'll point out that move when we get there. For now, though, I'm going to try to minimize the confusion of those two things falling at the same time, and we're going to concentrate on just Shabbat being Shabbat. Yes, Jen? So um, just to clarify, mm-hmm. it's not that we don't do 
the, the top part under festivals. That gets it's who leads it is number one. So is it the the Pasuke Davner either continues through there and then the Shabbat and then the Shacharit. Mm -hmm. So on the festivals, the person leading Shacharit comes up to start there. But what you're saying is on the day that a festival and a Shabbat, it is uh, the the person the the davener for Shacharit will start with festivals with the Shabbat Nusach. Correct. Okay. Yep. All right, I'm, I'm done. You did great. You can teach this class now. Thank you. Uh, no, you can teach the next version where it's Shabbat and Yom Tov. So, um, now that we've gone through that, I'm going to do a little bit more of this English, uh, using English words to teach you a little bit about this Nusa. Tonight, with the rest of our minutes, now that we've sort of introduced this whole concept of Nusach and davening and mode and motif, right? The musical pattern we're in within a musical set of notes. We're going to learn only one Nusach. And we'll start up again next time with that same Nusach. And that Nusach, while it's very well known, this Nusach of Shabbat morning, where people know how Yishabach begins, that Nusach is very well known but it's only used for a few pages. You can look at this outline and see that it's used from Nishmat Kolchai, where the Pasuke de Zimra person is leading. And now I'm staying on a reciting tone to give you the example that you can stop right here and do a lot of words on one note. And it continues all the way until Yotzer Or. And then Eladon becomes like a palate cleanser. It becomes whatever tune it is, and a new nusach begins after that. Now I want to show you what it looks like in the Sidor. You're going to start on page 147 with Shochenad Maharom beautiful. And I want you to page ahead a few pages, all the way to page 150. For the people listening on the podcast, first of all, you're welcome. And second of all, these are the pages in Lev Shalem. So on page 150, you see there's a blessing at the top of the page. We get through Ose Shalom, Uvareta Kola, Kol Yodura, the Koyeshabechucha. At the bottom of page 150 is one of the few places where I disagree with the people who edited this Sidor. I actually think that they made a mistake. There's a second Einke Erkecha, only four lines from the bottom of the page. And that's where oh. I suggest that we all begin. If you start any earlier, it gets really tricky. So that's where that Nusach goes all the way through. After that page, we no longer do that. If you're taking this class and you're trying to sharpen your davening, I want to suggest that you pay close attention. Look at page 152 at the top of the page. A new Nusach begins there. It's no longer this Nusach. A lot of people beautifully daven this Nusach further than it should go. They keep going to page 153 and they wind up at Kulam Ahuvim, Kulam Berurim, Kulam Giborim. Erase that from your memories. That's not kosher Nusach, but okay, if somebody does it, I love them anyway. So <laughs> that's 
no longer going to be where we're doing that Nusach. So we're doing it from Shochein Ad Marom Shemo all the way through the last lines before El Adon, which is why when we get to the end of it, I'm going to show you that I end El Adon in the next Nusach and hand it off already to the next Nusach we're going to do, which I'm not going to tell you about because it'll confuse you. Okay, done. There seem to be a couple of palate cleansers that... that that I do over learning it from different cantors over time. Sure. But I don't know if you would call it a palate cleanser. Sure. Uh, so, try me. So you have your, um, hold it, 145. Shofenad. Wait, where's Shofenad? 145 is Nishmat. 147 is Shofenad. No, okay. All these page numbers take up space in my brain. It's like this melody I've learned, which does not sound like so Great. Let's explore that cleanser. for a second. Not a palate cleanser. That is in the mode and it's the additional motifs. So I would call it like, imagine that somebody says, I'm going to teach you to cook spaghetti, right? Like I'm going to teach you to cook spaghetti. I love food analogies. So bear with me. <laughs> I'm going to teach you to cook spaghetti. And the way that you cook spaghetti without making it gross or mushy, but also not like underdone is that you boil the water a certain way. You put the salt in at a certain time to get the water salted. You put in the spaghetti and you wait a certain number of minutes and it comes out great. First of all, can you cook spaghetti a different way? Sure. If you're going to eat it, fine. I don't care how you cook spaghetti. Great. But if you're cooking for all of us, right, then we have a, we have a, a certain level of taste as a community and we'd really like for you to be in that, uh, at least in the zone. Second of all, some people say, well, I want to make bolognese or I want to make, uh, what's carbonara, the thing I always want to make but as bacon. Um, but egg is so good. Anyway, so and now I'm like making myself uh, hungry for our next, um, our next meal together. So this is the same thing. In this class, I'm going to teach you a very basic set of motifs, but I couldn't possibly dub in this every single week the same way. I started that way many years ago, but not that many years ago. And then later I got bored and I learned in cantorial school and I learned that you can change the motifs and lots of people do special things. That's the penultimate phrase that make it sound very Jewish, right? So these are all kosher motifs also, but we gotta learn the basic set and then we can move through it, okay? I highly recommend if you would like to for the next class, I didn't want to ask you to do this before the first class. You're going to email me after I email out to you and say, hey, it was great being in class together. We have a two-week break. You're going to tell me if you want to buy one of these cedar ream. I'm going to tell you how much it costs to buy it through us, which is cheaper than buying online. And then you can mark it up with these things. I like colors sometimes. Please write in a cedar. You know, Genizas. This is the first page I teach in every class. Genizas are full of manuscripts, pages, sidorim, book, masachtot of Talmud, like books of Talmud and uh, hand pages that are scribbled on and we learn about Jewish history from them. So what are we going to yell at Maimonides? Why are you writing in the columns? It's actually like a whole, it's a whole, um, I, I don't know if anybody here is in, 
history or an archiving, but marginalia is literally a thing, right? That's a, a beyond the Jewish world. There's an idea of studying the stuff that's in the columns. Uh, and because of Schechter and what he discovered in the Cairo Geniza, which happened to be a very intact and large Geniza, we have such cool notes. So be that person, be that cool person. Please don't be that uncool person who takes the book that was dedicated in memory of Mildred Hellerstein and marks it up, right? Dina would like to come here, please, and like find her her book and the, the Metzger Hellerstein family would probably like that. But you're more than welcome to buy one that's for personal use so that you can mark it up. So think on that as we're looking at the next few uh, lines together. Let's go to, yeah, yeah, please. I have a quick Robin. question. I don't understand how, a, uh, uh, how there's kosher, a kosher nusach and not a kosher nusach. Sure. Okay, so I'll back up a couple steps. In Ashkenazi tradition, that's my caveat. There are lots and lots of Jewish traditions. In Ashkenazi tradition, we have handed down through oral tradition, Nusach, that's been applied to certain parts of tefillah. And a teacher taught it to a student who taught it to a student who taught, like taught it to a student. Almost. Correct, yeah. It's a, it's a musical tradition that's been passed down through the ages. I forgot to say one of the most important things, which is why it matters, right? Because you could say to me, can't I do the whole thing to Yankee Doodle if it, that like brings me joy, right? Can't I sing the whole thing to like Carmina Burana if I <laughs> find that that's like, oh, hot? I don't know. But like if you're, um, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> but if you were moved to do it, like why can't you? Why is that not kosher? I'll tell you why. Because I believe in my heart of hearts that people who, again, Ashkenazi tradition, and we have a very Ashkenormative tradition in North America, people who grew up knowing the Hisnusach is the beginning of the Shabbat morning service, if they walk into shul and they don't really know how to find their page in a book and they're finding their way to their seat, but they hear this Nusach, they start to think, oh, we're at the beginning of that service that comes before Torah. But if you keep going with that nusach on and on all the way to the Amidah, someone who walks in mid-shacharit is going to be like, wait, which part of the service are they on, right? So I I apologize if it seems silly to you, but for whatever no, reason, this seems to work, sing, singing it in, yeah, the, yeah, in the English. Yeah. And I encourage you, because you start to hear the syntax, you hear that that's kind of like a landing at a comma. It's a semi-pausal piece of nusach. But if I say that term to you, it's going to mean nothing unless I give you examples. So, so I keep trying to use it. I also would say that one of my favorite personal prayer experiences ever was doing shacharit with Rabbi David Ingber, who I knew long before Rabbi Klickfeld said, oh, I know Rabbi David Ingber, but we each have very precious relationships with him. He, uh, he mentions him a lot, I know, because he's at Romamu in New York, and he's an extraordinary guy who grew up deep in the yeshivish world, deep in a learned black hat world, and now runs a renewal synagogue. And so the crossover of that is, I mean, it's just amazing. His tour is great. His music's great. And he can daven. I'm not talking about reading from the page, but rather live translation will daven in Nusach. In so he'll look at the words Nishmat Kochai, and he'll pull it up to his heart, and he'll sing... The soul of every living creature will bless your name, right? And he'll daven the whole thing, like, all the way through. So, uh, forever the one who dwells on high 
and sanctified is their name. And it's written, let us rejoice, etc. So I find, I mean, if I thought, like maybe for Hamalo coming soon, but I find that, like, I want people to know that is kosher, right? Just as saying those prayers in English is kosher, I'm very moved by this idea that the nusach is there and would work whatever language you were saying it in. And also, we're much more familiar with what syntax means in our lingua franca, in our, in our like, most useful language to ourselves. You might be kind of conversant in this, but probably none of us are as conversant in this in the Sidor as we are in our own language. So I, I want to use English to teach that way. So did that answer the question yes. of how we like got kosher nusach and yeah, not kosher? Yeah, when you used the term Great. kosher nusach, I was like, I think, why, why would it be right? kosher and why not? I don't think yeah. there's a trace. I just think it's exactly. there's, there's a true fit. That's a really great way of saying it. There's not really a trace, not really a wrong way to cook spaghetti, but there's a great way to cook spaghetti and there's a way that anybody who would eat it would go, oh, that's spaghetti, right? And you could mess with it, but we want to invite people in. It's one of the major reasons to go off on yet another tangent. It's one of the major reasons that I don't like people who use parodies at all, unless they're really known parodies, which is a bit of a paradox because in order for a parody to become known, what I mean by that is an application of an external melody to a known piece of prayer. So I don't love that being done because of the following. It's not because I think there's something gross about it. Rabbi David Galinkin has a great tshuva on what is and isn't appropriate to take from somewhere else. For example, this past Shabbat morning when I did Geshem, I did... And... It's fine because there's nothing wrong with applying different melodies to the tefillah. But what would be wrong is if I expected other people, even one or two other people are there, even the other clergy, to know that I was going to do na and not which I could also do. It's they, it's impossible for them to be in step with me. I'm I'm deliberately making it into something that's gonna become a solo or throw people off because the way that I've chosen in my brain to break it down, whether I've thought about it a lot ahead of time or not, is different than how other people are gonna do it. Now, you can make a counter argument that the cacophony, right? If I'm singing, and someone else is singing, that when we kind of clash, it's fine, it's whatever. I don't care about the musical product. I care about how people feel. When people hear, which by the way is a parody because it's Kiva Moed, but that, I digress. Um, but when people hear that and they know it, right? It comes from another prayer is what I'm saying. But people know it and I see the looks on people's faces like, I know this song is kind of kitschy, but I like it because I know how they're going to sing it. I see how that feels versus a new something. Even if people are like, oh, that's cute. You know, that's great. I'm going to do that for one paragraph, which I did. One paragraph and the rest of it is known. 
So that is a cousin to the, the thought that like, it's not so much that it's forbidden to do something else. It's the impact, it's the positive impact when we're doing the thing that everybody knows so that when we get to those other triangles, everybody comes together for because we've all sort of agreed that's something we're going to mumble together and it feels good. It feels good because even if people aren't talking to you, they're talking to you. Like the shots is talking to you like, come and join me. And it's even done by signaling with that little penultimate, the next to last uh, motif. When we do, yeah, da, 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 da. whenever I do that, it's like, I'm about to turn the page. So get ready for the next thing that we're going to sing together. So when I do that at the bottom of 147 at, I even slow the tempo. Some people will join me there and some people will jump in at the top of 148. Now, I could also, to go back to your point, Jen, just to make sure we understand, I could do, that's not as fun. I want to do it with everybody. It's really nice that we Ashkenazim do something that to Sephardim seems really weird. It seems really weird that we do this thing where we go, listen, if like, if you know, you know, right? Like it makes sense. If you like that, I could see people not enjoying that, especially if you didn't grow up with doing that. I find it really interesting and challenging to read everything out loud together and chant, which I experience at the Aleppo shul and at other at Persian shuls. So when it comes to um, to doing uh, that, starting together, moving apart, and then coming back together, I think that's a great like metaphor for the way we are with Tavila. Some of the stuff's together and some of the stuff's private. We keep coming like in and out of that, which means I'll, the last thing I'll say before we actually sing through these few pages together. That'll be the last thing we do tonight, um, which means that the number one job of a prayer leader in this type of section of Tavila of prayer is to set the pace. The number one job of a shaliyah or shlichat zivor in this section of prayer is to set the pace. That's not going to be true when we're in the repetition of the Amidah and I'm on my own and I can go off temple a little bit. I can go fast or slow if I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, oh, I got to do this. That's another story. I can set whatever pace I want. But here I'm setting the pace for people to daven. So it's neither good for me to be not quite ready to lead this section and a little too slow because then people are sitting there waiting at each paragraph for me. But it's also not good if for whatever reason, whether I'm not reading all the words that are in between or whether I'm just a really fast dominant, like I've gotten in the habit of being very fast. It's not okay for me not to take to be double negative, to not take it into account that people need time and not just like to finish the whole Shema, the whole thing. And people need time to like get through their prayers. So we're setting a pace. It's the number one job. Number two is probably pronouncing the words right. Okay. But like, <laughs> then the, the number one job is really setting the pace. So I'm going to sing and have you repeat after me. We're going to go through some of these pages. If you don't feel familiar enough to know how to read every one of these words in Hebrew, I didn't say, oh, you have to know how to decode Hebrew quickly to be in this class. That's fine. That's why we're going to do repeat after me for this stuff. I'm not ex- there's no like uh, comp exam at the end of this. So, um, so we're going to sing through this a little bit. Uh, 
sing. I, oh, perfect. We're going to sing through this a little bit, um, and I'm going to point out where we come together and where we come apart. So you'll repeat after me. We're in the middle of 147, and we're going to begin at Shofain Ad, which is flagged. Shochen ad marom v'kadosh shemo. Now your turn. Good. And if I owned my sidor, I might put another comma after marom because there's a little bit of a pause there in the pattern. Even if you were to do shochen ad marom v'kadosh shemo. You can make an argument syntactically in the Hebrew. It would make more sense to sing Shochin Ad Marom Vikadosh Shemo. Like God dwells until the highest heights. That probably would make more sense. But you want to know something? That's like uh, transliterating Hanukkah, like K H A N U K. Like, but it's technically correct. Okay, but like nobody does it, right? Do you know what I mean? Like nobody's okay. So, um, so we're all going to do shochenav like that, but there will be other places that are a little more flexible. So repeat after me again. So I'll sing it first, then you'll sing back. Shochenav marom v'kadosh shemo. You're also approximating kind of the real lived experience because often either with the shliach or shliach or right after them, the kahal, the congregation, will jump in. So it's very, very similar to what happens. Right? People will sort of like, I'll sing, and I'll hear behind me, you know, somebody's like, you know, Michael Baerbaum. That's okay. Michael Baerbaum doesn't listen to the podcast. If you do say, send me an email and say, I heard that. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, but I usually hear like a little bit of a delayed echo and it's loving. It's really loving. It means that I'm in conversation with the Kahal. I really, I really feel that. So then I whispered to myself, I don't do that line out loud. Some people do. I, well, I do it out loud if I don't have to. I often do this pattern in the middle out loud, not because I have to, and I, I could skip it, but because it's a little, um, it's a little poem. Your turn. Uvil shon chasidim titromam. Uvil shon chasidim titromam. Uv kerev kedoshim. Watch my hand. Uv kerev kedoshim. What that means is, hang on, there's no melisma. A melisma is multiple notes on the same syllable. That would be melismatic, okay? That's like when you have a lot of notes. Hang on, uh, I did it. Every syllable gets its own. own. No, um, that those two on own, but anyway. So, three on um, okay, yeah, it's. 
She, you're right, we settle into that melisma, three notes, right? And if you're being very cantorial, and I don't doubt that some people might listen to this, are like, how do you not do that? How do I do it cooler? But sped up, so there are little doodles, okay? That for the advanced folks, like that you can do that. Great, fantastic. But you can just do So let's do that last word. One more time. Two on two. Yeah, now you're going to start, start uh, counting all the notes on melismas. Yeah. Okay. And then we're going to start the next paragraph together. Repeat after me. Uvmakalot revivot amecha beit Yisrael. I'll sing it with you. Uvmakalot revivot amecha beit Yisrael. And I know people who do amecha beit Yisrael. Beautiful, right? I love that. Amecha beit Yisrael. Another motif that's very common, but amecha beit Yisrael is a little more like. Basic Lego blocks, okay? I, that's another very common analogy. Next time I'll get into it. I often say, like, certain Lego blocks, the most important thing to know is that all of these motifs can be used over and over and over again. They're going to be in the next few pages. They're just not going to be out of order. You're never going to start with, and then go back to, uh, uh, it's been like hard for me to, to re-render it. So let's, um, we go, Burbina Yitpa'ar, that line underneath of Makalot, we go whispered. You can do two different things. The longer version, the fuller version is, listen to me first. That's where I end that phrase. Adonai Eloheinu Velohei Avoteinu, because it's kind of in parentheses. God, our God of our ancestors, we're calling on your name. Hey, lehodot lehavel, lishapeach lefaher, leromem lehader, levarech lealehu kaleis. I like to repeat it three times. It's simpler. And then all kotivreshirot betishpechot David ben Yishai abdecha meshichecha. For now, here's what I want you to learn. You could go quiet after Uvmakalot, Revivot, Amechabet Yisrael. You can go quiet all the way till Al Kol Shirot Vetishbachot. And as for all of the words of the songs and the praises, meaning the second to last line, three-ish words, depending on how you count words from the left. And you can just come in at Al Kol Shirot Vetishbachot. Let's try that. Al kol divrei shirot v'tishvechot. David ben Yishai. You guys try it. David ben Yishai. Abdecha meshichecha. Abdecha meshichecha. Great. So that's kosher. That's the other thing I want to make you feel comfortable with. If you've been davening, you're like, I do sometimes hear people only come in there, right? I'm going to show you the next place where that's uh, applicable. Okay, we're almost through what we're going to do for the day. So we're going to do Yishtapach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu, your turn. Yishtapach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. 
great. Some people keep going, Ha'el ha'melech ha'gadol or Ha'el ha'melech ha'gadol ha'gadosh ba'shamay mu'vaharetz ki l'chanai Adonai Eloheinu v'elohei avoteinu. But why? Just go quiet for a minute and then come back in at the, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you have a really nice voice, maybe you want to share it with people. So, uh, is where we're going to pick up. Let's try it together. Now, this is the one phrase that I'm going to encourage you, the Baruch Hashem, because we're going to start in a moment at El Melech Gadol Batish Bachot. You guys see that right after Baruch Hashem? Yeah. El Melech Gadol Batish Bachot. I really encourage people to to learn one differentiated phrase, one standout phrase to let people know this is the this is the chatima, this is the signature blessing, the seal that comes at the end. Baruch Adonai. So let's try that together. Baruch Adonai. And then we're gonna go right into our pattern. El Freeze for a second. Totally okay. Also, if you do the following, and you're gonna repeat after me. Baruch Adonai, El Melech Adol Let's try that. Baruch Adonai, El Melech Adol But you see where that gets tricky? Where you're like, repeating that phrase is actually kind of hard. And then, El Ha-Hodahot Adon Ha-Niflahot. Just try that. See, we have a nice little melisma. How many notes does that vary? Four notes on ra. Zimra. Five notes. That zimra, that's, that's word means song. That's really nice. We call that like a, like a cloud painting, okay? Zimra. Melech. El, really separate that out. It's going to be King, God, Melech, El, Chei Olamim. Okay? Melech, El, just try that. Melech, El, Chei Olamim. Great. I'm going to save Chatsi, Kaddish, and Baruch for a review of coming back into this Nusa next class. Okay? Because it's just the same pattern. But I want to encourage you to do the following. I'm going to send out an email. You're going to think about whether or not you want to buy the Lev Shalem. I'm going to send a recording of all of Shachari from Lev Shalem. So you can start listening if you want to. Okay? Okay. Number two, I'm going to send this outline but in color. Okay? And number three, I'm going to send that vocabulary sheet. And then you can reply to me and you can say, you know, thanks so much for this. Don't need a Lev Shalem or you don't have to send it back at all if you don't. And then you can reply if you want me to get you one. Okay? You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.